I'm excited to be here. Um, I woke up this morning at, at 12.30 in the morning, and uh, I thought I was having a, a theophany, which is a visitation of the Lord. And I was, I was laying there, I woke up, and kind of in consciousness, but my eyes are closed, and all of a sudden there's a flash of light. And I was like, closed my eyes, another flash of light, and I sat up in bed. And I was like, here I am, Lord, speak, you know, like... <laughs> And then realized it was lightning outside. And <laughs> but I, uh, I did stay up, and uh, my heart was just made so tender for tonight. I, I have a, a topic that we're going to go into. We're actually going to step into a, a two-week series. Uh, it can be it can come off as a, a heavy series. It's not intended to be a heavy series. Uh, and I want to, this morning at 12.30 in the morning, I wrote out kind of a, a precursor to the message that I just want to walk through uh, because we're, we're starting into a series on death. And it doesn't need to be a scary thing, but I understand that it can be a scary thing uh, for some people. And before I get started tonight, I want to be extremely clear and transparent with what my goal is for this evening and this series There's a bit of a a paradoxical relationship of death within a believer's life. I'll talk about that here in a second. But this week and next, I'm just going to cover a couple facets of this thing called death. Uh, There's so much that I would want to say that I don't have time to say. There's so much that I'm not saying that I don't have time to explain that I'm not saying. Uh, And for the the sake of possibly being misunderstood, I'm just going to move forward on obedience with what Jake and I felt like this series needed to be and share... Uh, a topic that I think is extremely, extremely important. So here's the two halves of my message. This week, uh, we're going to talk about, uh, the series title is, You Are Going to Die. Uh, It's not a prophetic message, (laughs) (laughs) but it is an important message. Um, My my tagline on this is, is life is but a vapor, and, and we'll talk about that tonight because our, our mortal life here on earth uh, is limited. And this is extremely, extremely important for us to realize, and I think we're in a generation, uh, maybe not across the board, I'm not saying universally across the board, but I think we are in a generation to where many of us try to hide from this reality, and we'll talk about that tonight. Uh, so that's the first part. It's the mortal life that will eventually get sown into the ground. We call it death. And if Christ tarries and He doesn't come back and whatever the rapture or whatever that looks like, uh, if that doesn't happen, we will die. And we need to come into uh, to face-to-face with that. And it doesn't need to be a scary thing. Next week, we're going to talk specifically about that aspect. And next week's message entitled, uh, I'm taking from Jesus' words, is you will never see death. And it's beautiful. So even though we're going we're gonna to sit and park on the fact that you will die, there's also the reality that we're going to get into further next week. So if, if this still scares you at the end of tonight, come back next week. <laughs> I'm not speaking on this at Cairo, so you can come to that. And <laughs> we're not continuing series on death there. But next week, we're gonna, the subtitle next week is, Oh, Death, Where Is Your Sting? And we see that Christ is victorious over death, and it's beautiful. And as a believer, we do not need to be scared of death, but we also do not need to be ignorant of death. And like I said this morning at 12.30 in the morning, and uh, 
really from 12.30 to 4 in the morning, then I went back to bed and woke up at 9. I just had my heart just tender towards individuals in here, and I want to be sensitive uh, at the possibility of recognizing that there are some in here who have had uh, traumatic experiences with death. I know that I have some deep personal friends. Uh, Emily and I both have personal friends who have come upon loved ones and been the one to find a loved one dead or the one to witness a loved one die. Uh, and, and nothing in this series is meant to be insensitive to that or downplay that. That's a traumatic experience. My heart breaks for that. I also want to say that this isn't a series, despite the, the slightly comical and also terrifying title of tonight. This isn't a series to go and start joking around with friends afterwards and go, oh, you're going to die. You're going to, because you might strike a nerve that you didn't realize you were going to strike. And it's just, it's not even worth jumping on there. Right? So I really want to, I'm going to pray into our series here in a second, but I really wanted to start off by, by setting the, the kind of atmosphere of going uh, at access. We don't shy away from the difficult subjects, but we also realize the difficult subjects come with a complexity of emotion and reality attached to them. Uh, and across the board here, there's going to be a various different amounts of uh, experiences with death. And I recognize that, and I want to point that out before we, we jump in. So to be absolutely transparent here at the beginning, uh, my, my point for tonight, and then I'm going to pray us in, in talking about mortal, our mortal death and the fragility of life, I have one main goal, and it is to hopefully instill in us an urgency to live our life on purpose toward God and His agenda. I believe that death and mortality is an important topic to discuss in order to emphasize this importance. We're going to dive into that tonight. I also want to say that I do have some humor in my message tonight. Again, I'm not downplaying fears and experiences that people have had. Um, but I do want to start making this a more comfortable topic for us to talk about within our community groups here at Access and, and just within community as a whole to be able to start grappling with this topic. So, you guys ready to go into this? Yeah. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you. God, we thank you that we started tonight off in worship of just receiving your love. We thank you uh, ultimately that uh, death is not a thing to be feared. It has already been overcome on the cross. But Father, you don't want us to be ignorant. You don't want us to be complacent. And your heartbeat for us is to not coast through life. And Father, I pray that my words tonight would ignite a fire in our hearts to live on purpose towards you to invest into your kingdom and to partner with you in the areas that you are so, uh, maybe desperate isn't the right word, but Father, that you are calling us into and you are so fervently trying to get inside of us. God, that you redeemed us for a purpose. And let us see bits and pieces of that tonight. Father, I pray that there would be a supernatural grace with this message that would comfort hearts and souls. And Father, I pray that even right now, uh, even before we get into the next week's message where we just crucify the fear of death, uh, that you would begin that work tonight and that the fear of death would start melting away uh, in the light of your glory and your grace. So Father, we say have your way. We love you and praise you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. So there's a, a couple different places that this message started in, 
in my experience, in my journey, and in my life, and I'll share some stories of losses that I experienced that started to wake me up to some of this idea of, oh wait, my life on earth is important. I need to spend it intentionally. But last year I read an amazing book by a guy named Ben Sassy, Sassy. I, I meant to look up how he says his name, I don't know. But it's Ben Sassy, um, and it's called The Vanishing American Adult. And it's a, a social critique on America right now and a thing called delayed adolescence. Have you guys ever heard of this term? Uh, and really, in, in so many different ways, I've had this conversation with so many people recently, especially of the older generation, uh, it's moved from being a delayed adolescence to a perpetual adolescence. Where we're like Peter Pan in Neverland, refusing to grow up. Uh, and one of the topics that he talks about in here is really the separation, right? What happened over the years when you have, before the Industrial Revolutions, to where family would start going out all around. You had a, a larger family hierarchy to where under one roof you might have, you know, newborn all the way up to great-grandpa. And in that sense, uh, young people would experience the decay of life uh, on the regular. They would also have to deal with things like, uh, our cow died right? And there, there's different uh, experiences and interactions with death that we don't necessarily have today in the industrial age or the modern age and the things that come after that, the technological age now. And now we've gotten to a place where instead of caring for the withering elderly in our own home, we put them in homes and kind of disassociate ourselves with them. And, and Ben in here in this book is talking about how that has impacted the way our young people, myself included, this includes my generation, how our generation approaches death or tries to hide from death. And I want to read a, a section here uh, just from this book where he says, death is the hardest question. And in an age that gives short shrift or just fleeting thought to the transmission of wisdom from old to young, it is not surprising that death is the single most obvious fact of life from which we constantly insulate our kids. We have to our detriment created a cult of denial of our own mortality. Life needs to be lived and prioritized with the understanding that it is limited. An awareness of one's mortality makes life richer because the important can be emphasized in the trivial marginalized. If you want to know what I'm trying to say tonight, this is it. This is it. That we have to our own detriment created a cult of denial about our own mortality. Life needs to be lived and prioritized with an understanding that it is limited. An awareness of one's mortality makes life richer because the important can be emphasized and the trivial can be marginalized. But what happens in delayed adolescence is those things get inverted. The trivial gets emphasized, and the importance gets marginalized, and it's a uh, heartbreaking thing, really. 
In leadership with this generation, I could tell you today from five years ago, I see the effects of this all the more. And it's not a a finger-wagging, but it is uh, hopefully a wake-up call and, and an invitation into a deeper life that comes with meaning, purpose, and importance. Things that within our generation we are already striving for, but we're looking in the wrong places for it. Isn't it interesting that in our society we are both surrounded by and insulated from death? In our age, it's easy to grow numb to death and mortality because in many cases our first experiences are within video games or fictional television shows or it's in the news out there, wherever there is. We start to disconnect death from the everyday what I'm not saying is you have to go about every day thinking about death. There are people that do that, and that's not a healthy thing either. But it is to say we, we have started to push it way out there. And uh, I remember a couple years ago when, when I came across the, the frank reality that it's not way out there, that it's actually in our midst. Uh, I lost grandparents growing up, but... Uh, in my childhood, it was, well, yeah, the elderly die, and I kind of grapple with that, and it makes it uh, not easy, but easier, I guess, and it kind of goes, okay, that's, that's what old people do at a certain point, right, when you're young and you're trying to work this out. And then some years ago, Emily and I had a, a really, really amazing friend. His name is Josh Ross. Met him here at church. He and I used to go to, to Tuesday morning men's group together. He used to go to Access. He had amazing, amazing blue eyes. I mean, if you know Josh Ross, anybody in here remember Josh Ross? Anybody that old? Amadeus knows. He had the biggest smile. His whole family just had like abnormally large smiles, and he just literally carried the presence of the joy of the Lord with him. When he smiled at you, you couldn't help but to respond in smile. His eyes were so like just piercing blue. It was just amazing. He was a very beautiful man, if I could say that. He really was. (laughs) He was just amazing. More so than a beautiful man, he was a beautiful heart. He was a mechanic. He started his own mechanic shop and uh, he would just, he would repair cars for next to nothing or free for people at church. If you were in need, he would show up and show up to your need. He would buy cars or acquire cars, fix them up, give them to individuals who needed cars at the church, and just incredible. One time I was, I was on my way home. I was out in the parking lot when my car just died. It was snowing mound of snow already on the ground. My car was on the mound of snow. I called him up. Hey, is there any way? I'll be right there. He comes up, jacks the car up, crawls underneath the car on the snow, fixes the car in like a half an hour, and then sends me on my way. I was like, do you want any money? No, absolutely not. I just wanted to make sure that you got home. So you can imagine our surprise when Saturday, July 1st of 2017, he was found dead after a motorcycle accident took took his life at just the age of 27. One of the most kind people that you could ever imagine. And all of a sudden it started challenging the way out there aspect of death. 
It wasn't just something that happened to people on the news. It's something that happens within our midst. And he was about my age. I was about his age. And I'm sitting there at his funeral. And I just remember getting home. And I was a mess. I was sitting on our bed weeping because I just couldn't. (laughs) It just didn't make any sense to me. I was blindsided. I didn't know what to do with it. But at the same time, it started doing something inside of me. I started looking at life just a little bit different. Wow, tomorrow's not promised. 27. I could leave at any moment. And it kind of makes my days here on earth a little bit more important. Or at least a little bit more urgent. It used to be commonplace to address with, with the youth uh, to get them in a place of processing mortality. I was reading that an old Puritan pastor, his name is Cotton Mather, once bluntly told kids, this is just what he told kids, yes, you may be at play one hour, but dead, dead the next. <laughs> it's a really encouraging sermon. <laughs> it's about what I'm doing today, so <laughs> I can relate, Cotton. In the 17th century, there, there used to be a, a maxim. You know what a maxim is? It's kind of like a proverb, right? And it would be in, in school books. And it is said to, to school children, "'Tis not likely you will all live to grow up." And, and somebody would argue, well, back then they had much more like, you, you might die more readily of the flu or the whooping cough or all these different things. But at the same time, I think they were also preparing the youth that your days on earth are numbered and you're not promised tomorrow. So consider this. A limited timeline means you can't do everything. Eventually your time will expire. When we come to grips with this, we begin to realize that we do what we do today is more valuable than we had realized. Ben continues on in his book and he says, in an age in our age segregated era, we spend enormous amounts of energy, time and money letting the young and middle-aged pretend that eternal youth is attainable rather than actually grappling with the inevitable. Consider the marketing of today. We now live in the, the photoshopped era. <laughs> Everything ends up photoshopped today. Wrinkles are removed, right? Bags under the eyes are removed, and any sign of progressing through life is removed. And now in the apps, it's built in. You can just add a filter that makes you look like a baby, Can I just say, okay, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> it's not pleasing on you. It's not, you're beautiful. Just embrace how you look. The American Society of Plastic Surgery said that Americans spent more than $16.5 billion on cosmetic plastic surgery in the year of 2018 alone. I couldn't quite find the the figures for the last couple of years, but $16.5 billion on plastic surgery. 
Some of that might have been reconstructive surgery after an accident, but most of that is based off of wanting to look younger, wanting to look more youthful, wanting to escape the reality that we are getting older and time is running out. How crazy it is to the extent that we will go in order to avoid death and come to grips with our aging. Again, I'm not suggesting that we take on a fear of death, but we also shouldn't be ignorant to it. So, I, I wanted to just kind of make this real, and I know that there's some people in here that statistics are, are just a, a thing that starts to settle it in you. So I have some staggering statistics that I found these, and they almost knocked me off my feet. This is just crazy. There, currently, <laughs> currently, there's a 100% death rate. This is wild. In America, in Italy, in all places, I couldn't find any figures on Antarctica, but I think it's about the same there. And for those who are extra visual, I I did some hunting. I actually found a pie chart. (laughs) And that's staggering. That's staggering. You may have heard the the Benjamin Franklin quote. In this world, nothing is certain except for death and taxes. (laughs) Which I was reflecting on this week, and I kind of found it funny that in 2020, we've seen a picture of how uh, intentional people will be to evade both. (laughs) 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 They just kept pushing back taxes. Have they even done taxes from 2020? (laughs) Okay, good. We did. We did them at the regular time. Everybody else was like pushing it back. Many who have had a near-death experience remark on questioning the priorities of their life and changing the ways because of their near miss. I worked with a a guy named Hal Elrod years ago. He's still alive, but uh, when he was 25 years old, he was hit in a head-on accident by a drunk driver coming into his lane. He worked at Cutco Cutlery with me. He was uh, the top sales rep. He was already at 25 hitting Hall of Fame numbers. He was leaving a conference where he had just given a, a message, was hit head-on in his red Mustang, was dead on impact. Six minutes. The EMT showed up. Praise the Lord for EMTs. They were able to revive him. Over the next week on his bed uh, in a coma, he had died two more times. How many of you guys know when you wake up from something like that and you were given the chance of life after that, uh, you start seeing things a little bit differently. And why does it take us near-death experiences or death experiences to get into this place? To recognize life is a gift. Those at the end of their lives, on their deathbeds, tend to reconsider their entire lives and wonder what legacy it is that they're leaving behind. What mark did they make on this world? Another way of saying this is they come to grips with the fact that they are not the person they wish that they would be. How often do we push meaningful transformation, meaningful life transformation, off until tomorrow? It's called delayed adolescence, perpetual adolescence. We have the first generation that's being raised uh, by delayed adolescent adults 
or delayed adolescence. How are we going to call those? Uh, and again, this is just a, a social critique. It's not shame or guilt or any condemnation, but it is going, we as a generation, we as a, a collective here, can start awakening to the aspect that my life is a gift. The Lord's calling something higher out of me, and I can partner with Him in a beautiful way. Having to deal with death pushes the soul to ask deep questions about life, meaning, relationships, insecurities, and priorities. Another story I want to share. Last year, uh, 2020, Emily and I lost our last two remaining grandparents, her grandmother on her side, my grandfather on my side. And uh, perhaps it's because I, 33 at the time, 34 now, the experience that I had with grandfather's death, my, my papa is what we call him, papa's death, is much different than the experience that I had with Josh Ross's death, and I think it's because Josh Ross's death kind of catapulted me into a place of starting to grapple with these things a little bit deeper. So I'm sitting in the room, I go to visit my grandfather, he, uh, we now live kind of right around the, the corner from where his nursing home was, and I was visiting in there, and hospice came in when we were uh, visiting, it was my mom, my aunt, my cousin, myself, and uh, started explaining things to me. I, I got some time with my grandfather. I was able to uh, pray over him. I just knelt down beside his bed and just prayed over him. He, was, he knew the Lord, which is, makes all of it much, much easier in that sense, right? We could celebrate his life. And in praying over him, I, I just whispered, Grandpa, I love you. And I got a, I love you back. It was faint. Everything in him took to just muster up the I love you back. I actually got two I love yous. And I, I think I was actually the last person to ever hear him speak. And I've thought about it multiple times. I feel like I stole the I love you from my brother because he showed up the next morning and grandpa was already too far gone to say anything. It's in moments like that that you recognize, wait a second, I love you is much deeper than just a couple words. The hospice comes in, and they're going, look, we're, we're recognizing all the signs, right? Your father speaking to my mom, your grandfather speaking to me, uh, is going to be fading very soon. You guys will probably have maybe another 24 hours with them. And then they, they did a really interesting thing that, like, seriously caught me off guard. They started going through and listing off what his body would do over the next 24 hours, readying those who would be in the room for his death. His breathing would start to become irregular. Several rapid breaths followed by no breath. Several rapid breaths followed by no breath. Call it apnea. His limbs would grow cold. They would change color because his body would be drawing all his blood flow up to his core to try and maintain his vital organs for as long as possible. Because of that, he would start to shiver uncontrollably. The best thing that you could do is put heated blankets on them to keep them comfortable until the end. And then he would grow more and more unconscious as the time went on. And I just remember sitting there. It was like a ton of bricks hitting me. And I was like, how insensitive is this? Like the family's in here greeting, you're coming in trying to tell them all these things are going to happen. Can you just give us a peace and crop? 
And I started realizing, wait a second, it's actually because I'm, I don't want to deal with this. I want to just run away from it. I want to not think about it. I want to hide from the fact that grandpa's going to die. I just want to hide from death. And it started doing something in me. You leave a day like that, and all of a sudden you start thinking about things differently. At his funeral, my grandfather was a a veteran. He served, I think it was Vietnam. I don't know for sure, but uh, he was a veteran. So at the funeral, they do what's called a a three-shot salute. It's not the 21-gun salute. I read a whole article on how it's not that. (laughs) Uh, Where is it at? Three-volley salute where it's three rifles uh, that shoot off. So you're in, and I was in the front row because I was going to be a palm bearer, and I was standing in the front row, and, and they're, they're readying us. They're saying, we're going we're gonna to transition over to the salute. We have men outside. They're going to fire off the rifle, and all of a sudden, there's just a quiet in the space as you're anticipating what this is going to sound like. I just remember the first shot going off and I felt it like I literally felt it in my bones my heart started like pitter-pattering right it starts beating harder it catches you off guard and then there's quiet and I just remember in that instance I I know I wrote it down someplace I spent much of this week trying to find it I don't know where I wrote it But I just remember thinking about every one of those gunshots. I felt like grandfather had gone further and further away. I was feeling his death more and more. But also in a weird sense, I was also feeling my life more and more. It was the sense of feeling the absence of grandpa. And the sense of feeling the rhythm of my heart being affected by these three gunshots that were kind of jolting me awake in a way in bringing me to a sense of maturity, I guess. I felt the significance of life and how much of a gift it is. As I was processing my loss, I was also processing my life. Having to deal with death pushes the soul to ask deeper questions about life, meaning, relationships, insecurities, and priorities. Confronting our mortality brings us to a deep sense of humility, something that we often try to avoid. It reminds us that we are not creator, we are not sustainer, we are not God. And you see this rhythm all throughout Scripture. I want you to catch this in Scripture. It's kind of a a sobering truth, but... James 4.14, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow, for you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Psalm 39.5, you indeed have made my days as hand breaths, and my lifetime is nothing before you. Truly, each man is at his best, exists as but a breath. Selah, which means pause and reflect when you see that in Psalms. David's talking about deep reality of life. And then he says, pause and reflect on that for a moment. Psalm 144.4, man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. 
And then Ecclesiastes 1 2. I'm going to read out of the Amplified Version. Vanities of vanities, says the preacher. Vanities of vanities. All that is done without God's guidance is vanity, futile, meaningless, a wisp of smoke, a vapor that vanishes, merely chasing the wind. Here's one of the big things that I want you to walk away from tonight. Life is but a vapor. Say that with me. Life is but a vapor. I have a good friend that is into, uh, oh, we tripped. <laughs> that's amazing. All right. I have a good friend that's into barbecue with me, right? And we were at a, an event this week, and he brought this for me, and he got it for me as a gift. And uh, I just want to illustrate this. So use this in barbecue to spray your, your meats, right, so they don't dry out. Praise the Lord, anybody? Yes, amen. Smoke meats, it's kind of my, my thing. But I just want you to, to catch this. It's a mist, a vapor. And this is what Scripture tells us that our life is. Some people might be a little bit longer of a vapor, but you're still a vapor. Some people, unfortunately, we don't know how long our mist is going to go. It doesn't mean that it's insignificant. It actually means that it's highly significant. It means that this is very meaningful. And though it only goes for this, you can make a lot of difference based off of how you live this, right? It's also fun. Because then you could shoot people. (laughs) (laughs) Brian, I love you. You've been baptized. (laughs) So all of us like this mist... Some missed a little bit longer than others, but at the end, it's missed. It gets dispersed and spent. So what does knowing that life is but a vapor do for us? I submit that it causes us to be uncomfortable with wasted time. To take seriously the call of Christ in His kingdom. Notice Solomon's words here in the Amplified, right? All that is done without God's guidance... Vanity, futile, meaningless, a vapor that vanishes, merely chasing the wind. Hevel, hevel, all of life is but hevel is the Hebrew word. And Solomon, or whoever wrote Ecclesiastes, continues that on over 40 times throughout all of Ecclesiastes, ingraining in us that life outside of the will of God, life outside of Working towards God's kingdom is hevel, a vapor, a mist. We see this in other ways in Scripture to where Paul in in, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3.12. So Paul here, actually it's really interesting because in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul's saying to the Corinthians, while I was among you, I was only able to feed you milk because you weren't mature enough to receive meat. 
So delayed adolescence isn't a new thing. <laughs> but he continues on, and he starts talking about how the church in Corinth was starting to argue between whether they were under Barnabas or Paul or these different things. And Paul's laying the, the foundation here, and he's saying, no, all of life needs to be built on not Paul, not Barnabas, not other teachings. It needs to be built on Christ. Christ is the foundation. Then he continues on in this way. He says, anyone who builds on that foundation, Christ, may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Do you hear what Paul's saying here? There's a way of living life that is towards something. You can actually leave, Jesus calls it, storing up treasures in heaven. We're going to talk about that here in a second. You could store up treasures in heaven to where on the other end of the judgment day, on the other end of the refining fire, you can recognize, wow, not look at what I did, but look at what I have partnered with the Lord on. Look what great materials I have brought into the heavenly reality that God will then use as I partner with Him to rule and reign in this next life and establish His kingdom and build the beautiful kingdom that we see in Revelation. Or, we live a life that is futile, vanity, and it's things that when the refining fire come, they go up in smoke. 2 Peter 3 tells us the same thing that Paul's telling us. Peter says, The Lord will come like a thief in the night, and everything in heaven and earth will be exposed by fire. And then he pairs this, Peter does, with living a godly and a holy life. They're inviting us into something that I'm hoping our generation can start hearing, me included. Again, I hope you hear this is a journey that I'm on as well recognizing the areas that I have been in delayed adolescence and that coming to grips with the meaningfulness of my life is bringing me forward. And I want to just ask, when that day comes, will your work be removed or refined? Let me also be clear here. We've seen it in uh, Corinthians a second ago. We are not talking about earning your salvation Right? You could do nothing to earn your salvation. That was a gift purchased by Christ fully and sufficiently on the cross. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That's not what we're talking about. But Ephesians 2 tells us that we are saved for good works. In which He preordained for us to partner with Him on. So say with me. We are not saved by good works. But we are saved for good works. And we have but a mist, but a vapor to do those good works. How we live our lives matters. Again, in, in regard to these, Peter and Paul are calling us to live a holy life. This doesn't simply mean stiffen up, act straight, I'm not trying to scare you into better behavior, and I don't think that the apostles were trying to do that either. 
But what I do believe that they're doing is pressing on the urgency of a life lived on purpose. God invites us into having an eternal impact with him. And how incredible is that? Christ was restoring us back to that first place where we rule and reign with God. That's a beautiful place, and why we would want to do anything else is beyond me. We need to go into Scripture to catch the vision in the heartbeat of what God has for us. Because it's greater than anything you're trying to do on social media or in the different things that you're doing. Social media is not bad. But it can become hevel real quick. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Jesus says, Do not store up treasures for yourself on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not steal and break in. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Paul tells us in Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do you guys see what I'm saying here? You guys picking this up? Your life is significant. Some of you guys just need to hear that tonight. Sometimes it's easy to get caught up in not doing anything with our life because you have believed the lie that your life is not significant. I'm here to tell you tonight. Again, this is one of the things that the Lord woke me up this morning in the theophany. No, that was lightning. But in, the, in waking up. My heart goes out for you. You matter. You are significant. The Lord paid the highest price for you. Jesus paid the highest price for you. He didn't make a mistake. He didn't exclude you. You are significant. Your life is significant. I want to start closing out by giving us three ways in which we spend a life and then give you one last illustration that I think will We'll hit home, and it's been hitting me hard this week as I've been prepping. Three ways of, we could say another thing on this, is stewardship, right? I think many of you might be already thinking towards the, the aspect of um, the parable of the talents, right? The parable of the minas. Any of those parables that Jesus was telling, right? Good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. You could start hearing it through this lens when you look at this, right? If you don't know that parable, don't worry. You can go check it out in Scripture. Uh, but three different ways of stewardship. First is wasting. We can waste our life. This is living life as if time is insignificant and meaningless. In ROI, or return on investment, investment terms, wasting our life brings no return on investment. It doesn't take a financial advisor to tell us that this isn't a great way of investing our time. We do this when we either think that we have an abundance of time. Isn't that what Ben was saying earlier? We've allowed them to think of eternal youthfulness. We're the Peter Pan generation trying to live in Neverland 
never growing up. We have an abundance of time. Or when we think that nothing that we do really matters anyway. The second is what we would call nihilism. It's a, a worldview that just says life is meaningless. There's no purpose. And what does it matter to put any kind of effort forward anyway? The former is why I bring us face to face. The idea that I have an abundance of time. I have an overflow of time. It's, it's just way out there. I'll push it out until tomorrow is why I bring us face to face with tomorrow's not promised to us. And our time is limited and thus valuable. To the later, right, nihilism, nothing matters. Everything is purposeless. I want to introduce you to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Like I said, He died for you to show you just how meaningful life truly is. We'll give an opportunity for that in a little bit. Next is spending. Living this life in exchange for worldly pleasures. This at least brings a momentary return of investment, but it's fleeting at best. In investment terms, it's still not great. It's like spending a ton of money on a jalopy, right? That's what they used to call really bad cars, you know? A lemon, right? Not an actual lemon, car lemon. Anyway. <laughs> Do I need to pull the squirt gun back out? No, I'm just kidding. We spend our life on worldly pleasures, and we fail to see an eternal future. Again, like we started, we get inverted and emphasize the trivial and marginalize the importance in life when we're just spending our life. Another name for this is materialism. And this kind of manifests itself in two streams of thought, or at least for our conversation today. It stems from uh, either one, that the material realm we experience now is the only realm. People go, I just don't believe in the supernatural. I don't believe in life after death, so I'm going to spend my life and I'm going to live it up now and get everything while I can, right? There's a lot of people that are, that's their tagline on Instagram. <laughs> get it while you can. Or this materialism idea considers that material possessions and physical comfort are more important than the spiritual values. We find our comfort much easier in the material realm than we do in the spiritual realm because we don't necessarily know what to do with that. So we, we start spending our life and get so caught up on what we can get now that we don't actually store everything up and then all of a sudden it goes up in smoke when that day comes. Again, this isn't to scare, but it is to invite into this third part, which is investing living this life as a steward for the sake of an eternal kingdom. Living this life as a steward for the sake of an eternal kingdom, this also brings an eternal reward and investment. Again, we're not talking about the salvation here. We're talking about what we get to carry on into eternity. That should be exciting to us. This is what we're talking about when Christ's words of storing up treasures in heavens, Paul and Peter's words of work being tested and refined as beautiful, eternal building materials to partner in the kingdom to come. In other words, when you invest your life, you in, sorry, in other words, you invest your life when you live your life in the light of eternity. Last illustration I'll give. I looked up 
uh, what the, the standard time expectancy of an average American is. It's about 78 years. I rounded up to, to 80. I stole this from Emily out of our garage. She's the woodworker in the family. Uh, and the garage now is being held up by other pieces. No, I'm just kidding. So, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. It's not promised to us, but on average, this is about what we see uh, in lifespan expectancy of America. And when we, when we think about this, it, it can seem like such a great number at first. 80 years. That's so much time to do so much. I know the average age in here is about 22, 23. That's right here. This amount of time has already been spent. Maybe not spent. Maybe wasted. Maybe invested. I don't know. Again, I'm not here to judge, condemn, or anything. I'm here to invite. This is a very sobering thing for me because I I recognize that I'm here right now, and in six years, I'm halfway on this arbitrary timeline. Whether I make it six years, I don't know. It's not promised to me. And we start to see where uh, it's not just a a number (laughs) off there someplace. We are actually living out the timeline of our life. Uh, For Josh, who's here, for Grandpa, who's over here, actually closer to here. And this is weighty. And what I want to say is, no matter how you spent, wasted, or invested this time, you have the ability and invitation to start investing this time, however long it might be. That we could live on purpose for the kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done for as long as I am here on earth and then beyond. Because if we do it well, we instill those seeds in others. And then they carry on and legacy happens. And like I said, again, when we get to the end of our timeline, whatever it is, we have no fear because we are moving on as believers into an eternal reality with our beloved king as his beloved children. But it's still something for us to consider. Investing brings in an internal investment. Last scripture I will cover. Philippians 3, 13 through 14. Paul's words here I think are very comforting. Again, it's not to look back and go, how did I, I threw that away. But listen to Paul's words here. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself as yet taking hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining ahead towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. No matter what your past looked like, Christ paid to redeem it, but he also paid to redeem the future And you have the opportunity, we all have the opportunity to partner with him to make that redemption as investing 
and intentional and important as possible. You guys receive this? If you would close your eyes. I'm going to give a, a couple invitations here in a second. I do want to just say that there are times where we see individuals who leave this earth what seems to our mortal minds far too early. But there are beautiful cases to where even though they left maybe earlier than what we had hoped for, we see that their life was an investment into the kingdom of God. That's a beautiful thing. That's something to fixate our eyes on, to champion and celebrate, and to be invited into. And I just want to give two calls right now. If you are sitting here and you're, you're in that place where you're going, you know what? I haven't really come to grips with the fact that my life is but a vapor. And I want to live my life on purpose. Moving forward, I want you to take a stand right now. And I truly mean just stand up in your seat as just a, a connection point with you and the Father of just going, God, I want right now to be a different moment in my life. I want to move forward on purpose through the rest of my life. I want to invest my time versus waste my time. I want to invest my time versus spend my time. If that's you right now, I just ask that you be bold and stand up. This isn't, I don't feel better if more people stand up. This is just an invitation to take a stand for making your life on purpose. The other crowd I want to speak to is you might be in this place, you might be new to church, you might have been coming to church for a while, you might just be trying this whole Jesus thing out. And I want you to hear that message that your life is significant, that Christ went to the cross to pay for the significance of your life. He says, you have dignity, you have glory, you have honor that I originally bestowed on you and want to reclaim you into. And if you've never taken the step to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, to follow Him, to live your life in congruence with Him, in partnership with Him. I want you now to take a step, stand up and join with the rest of these guys that are looking to move forward in a different way. I'm going to give this call again because I don't want people to leave here without knowing Jesus. Maybe you're saying, I want this to be true. But I lived my life feeling like it was worthless, insignificant, and people have told me that over and over and over again. And I just right now I want to pray for you. 
I want to say, Jesus, I want you, and I know that you will make yourself known to these individuals tonight. You will meet them where they're at. Father, I pray for those who do not know you, that you will reveal yourself to them, that they will have not a doubt in their mind, not a shadow in their mind, that you are real and that you are pursuing them and that you paid the highest price for their life. Father, we pray over every single individual in here tonight, those who are standing, we thank you for the stand that they've taken. I'm there with them, and I'm going, God, do a work in me, and let me move forward on purpose. Holy Spirit, come, fill us fresh and new. I pray for a mighty rushing wind to come into this place and to renew hearts and minds right now, like those shots that you would awaken in our hearts the significance that you've put in front of us, that we would start to feel the nature of our reality and that we are living on purpose here on forward. So, Father, have your way in these lives. I thank you for it. Jesus, we thank you. You are such a mighty Savior. You are such a wonderful Counselor. You are such an incredible Lord. Let us do life with you. Father, we say have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys.